Who am I kidding? I can't do this. Okay, now I'm ready. We're on a mission from God. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening! Alright, Buster, what do you do? I've only been in Mexico for three weeks, and yet three weeks ago, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago seems like a lifetime ago. It seems like a different world, and not just because I started in Baja and then moved over to the mainland, and so therefore there's actually a physical, logistical, geographical separation between my first two weeks and the following week and a half that has passed since then, but also just because so much takes place every single day. Everything is new, every mile is new, every gas station is new, every restaurant is new, every hotel or hostel or motel is new. Every little town full of people who look at me like I'm crazy because I still have motorcycle helmet hair and I'm walking around shamelessly in my giant boots with my big old black motorcycle jacket on is new. So. When I think back on the last three weeks, last four weeks, it feels like a distant memory, and therefore things have already started to coalesce into the most significant aspects of the memories, which most of the time are the people. Now granted, there was the one time the pinata came flying out of the truck, and the back of the truck came off too, and they both were flying towards me down near Guerrero Negro, uh, where I almost died by pinata. Death by pinata is not really high on my list of uh, cool ways to die, but I guess it's not the, the lowest item on there, maybe like number three. Right below eating ice cream and dying of a heart attack sitting in a garden at 98 years old, still excited to see my wife walk around the corner looking beautiful even at 97. I don't know why my wife is one year younger than me. It's just part of the story I just made up. There also was the time this morning, actually, when I was merging onto the main highway leaving Guadalajara, and there was a one car in front of me, and that car was going forward at about maybe 15-20 miles an hour, and starting to pick up speed because there was an opening, so they were going to take that opening. So I was looking over my left shoulder, looking at traffic, because my mind had already assumed that the car in front of me was going to take the opening that they looked like they were taking. So I looked over my shoulder for a solid three seconds maybe checking my opening and when I turned back around the car had instead of taking the opening come to a complete stop on the lane merging onto the highway rather than continuing onto the highway which is just stupid behavior but you know what's even more stupid not looking in front of you while you're riding a motorcycle and accelerating so I definitely had to lock up both front and rear brakes and my rear tire skidded all the way around to my side um, and I don't know how I didn't come down and crash or fail to merge into traffic right after that or have a small heart attack. I kind of want to save that heart attack for being 98 in a garden and watch my wife walk around the corner. But there have been times that are memorable, specific things or events that have been meaningful. But overall, the most meaningful thing, the most memorable aspect of this trip has been the people. And so I want to take you through the people of my trip so far. And I think this will be a, a recurring theme or recurring uh, episode or recurring something that I spend time investing in forming into some sort of story or written or oral story, maybe even a video, because as I continue to move my way south, I don't think the incredible encounters or the fun, beautiful, funny, whatever they might be, touching, invigorating, exciting, encouraging, whatever they might be, encounters are going to stop. I think they're going to continue right on until I reach the end of the Pan American Highway and I'm there taking a picture in front of the sign with tears in my eyes and missing a finger or two and you know no ability to hear out of either of my ears because of road noise. It's not going to stop even there because then people are going to have to pick me up in an ambulance 
as I collapse to the ground having completed my life's goal. So let's begin with day number one. Day number one, as some of you might know from having listened to previous episodes, I rode across the border into Mexico, made my way to Ensenada, got pesos, and then made my way a little bit further south to a town, a little tiny town on the coast that you really have to zoom in pretty far in Google Maps for the name to even appear on the map. I'm talking like until you're looking at less than a mile across the screen. Yeah, that far into Google Maps before the name pops up, but it's near San Vicente, Baja, California, Mexico. As I pulled into that hostel, that first place that I would be staying on the trip, everything was dead quiet. I was coming off of a buzz of high of having pushed myself pretty hard that day, barely able to drag myself out of bed, forcing myself to eat something, forcing myself to pack the bike, and forcing myself to ride across that border. I'd pushed myself pretty hard. Finally, I arrive at this hostel, having chosen a hostel because I wanted to be around people. Specifically, I wanted to be around other travelers to kind of commiserate with this new adventure that I was on. And there was no one. Not a single soul in sight, not a single car, not a single sound other than the ocean in the distance, the leaves being blown, the palm tree branches being blown, a couple of tinkling, twinkling sounds from the wind chimes hanging on nearby branches, and not a single person to be found. After a minute or two of just sitting there, wondering what I had gotten myself into, out popped Bill. Now, I don't remember his name specifically, mostly because I was confused because the hostel was called Coyote Cal's, and so I thought his name would be Cal, but I'm pretty sure his name was not Cal. So we're going to call him Bill. Bill walks out around the corner, white hair, shorts, flip-flops, doesn't even look at me, just says, you were hiding from me. I didn't see you there. As I'm surprised by him walking around the corner and speaking perfect English to me. I can't even speak Spanish to him because he speaks perfect English. He's obviously American. He walks right on by me into the hostel without saying, follow me, come to the office. Thanks for coming. Welcome here. He just says, you surprised me. And then he goes in the office and waits for me. So a minute or two later, when I've gotten out of my shock, I come into the hostel, wander down the hallways until I come to a small light peeking out of a little room behind a door and those hanging plastic curtains that you kind of see in butcher shops and out the back entrances of Walmart delivery where the trucks are, if you know what I'm talking about, the long plastic slats that when you walk through them, they're way more strong than you think they are. And so it's almost like walking through a door as you try to walk through with your head and then it just hits you in the head. That's what I'm talking about. He's behind there and he's waiting for me. Now, Bill is the first person that I have talked to in Mexico other than the toll booth operator and the gas station attendant that I took way too long to buy gas at. So this is a pretty significant interaction for me. This is my first human interaction in Mexico beyond something to do with a service being rendered. So Bill says, what can I do for you? And I say, I would like to stay here tonight. And Bill says, okay, I'll put you upstairs. That's $35. Wi-Fi password is Mexico128. Here's your towel and check out is 11 a.m. Have a nice day. And before I know it, the first human interaction, the only human interaction, the one that I was excited about because I had come to stay at a hostel and he was the only person there, walked off back behind his bush to his own little house and left me alone in the isolating silence of coyote cows on the Baja coast. Now, after many hours sitting in my bed watching YouTube and Netflix all at the same time and Amazon Prime videos, whatever I could do, and texting anyone and everyone I could, trying to manage my anxiety attack over being in this strange world, doing this strange thing, having set this massive goal in front of me, I met Thomas. Now, Thomas was the man who would come and work for Bill 
in his hostel when Bill didn't want to work. So Thomas is down in the kitchen when I come down looking for some water and Thomas and I get to talking. Turns out Thomas is in charge of making sure that I get what I need and that I have a good stay. So Thomas ends up cooking me the most expensive bowl of spaghetti and meatballs I've ever had, 18 whopping American dollars for that. I don't think I've paid that much for food in the last three weeks in Mexico, except for that first day, for the most expensive spaghetti and meatballs, but the most needed conversation, the most needed company, the most re-establishing moments, the most re-establishing hour that I spent sitting in the kitchen, half turned on the picnic table seat with my spaghetti and meatballs in front of me and Tomas in the kitchen talking back and forth about life, about religion, about love, about marriage, about music, and about my journey. And so we had Bill, the fleeting, quiet, brief interaction, and then Tomas, the unexpected, long, deep conversation and connection. Fast forward a few days, maybe a week, I'm not sure, and I find myself sitting on a rock just below a cliff jutting out into the ocean near Loreto or Mulehe, Baja, California. Beautiful Caribbean-like waters, birds diving into the water to catch fish, and people enjoying their lives in silence around me, parked in their vans, in their tents, in their Subarus, in their Jeeps, on their motorcycles, all enjoying their separate lives. And me, sitting on the rock, staring out over the ocean, thinking about my life choices, as I tend to do. And that's when Larry and Nancy walk in front of me, both wearing those kind of hippie, baggy, super loose pants with the cool designs on them, hands behind their back in classic strolling fashion, in no hurry whatsoever, sharing a few words here and there, but mostly in silence, both looking lost deep in thought and yet not thinking about anything at all, not in a hurry, enjoying the feeling of the sun on their already sun-kissed skin, walking down the beach. And so I met Larry and Nancy. Before I knew it, Larry and I had struck up a conversation, and it turns out Larry has been to Argentina in cars and in vans twice already, and he's always wanted to ride a motorcycle from America to Argentina, he just never got around to it. Now Larry is 71 years old, and Larry looks 51. Larry told me all about all of his motorcycle adventures, all of his traveling, and I shared in turn with a good deal of vulnerability in places that I hadn't yet quite explored within myself on reasons why I am doing this trip, on reasons why I've put this goal in front of me to do it in such a fashion that is challenging and dangerous and unnecessarily risky and yet beautiful in other ways. And Larry and I were able to bond over this bridge that spanned 50 years between us, this bridge of how we see life and how we want to move throughout it and how he has moved throughout it in his own life. Larry and Nancy were my source of encouragement for that day, for that week. I count them as friends, even if I've only met them once and even if I may never see them ever again. Fast forward another few days and you'll find me switching down in second gear, engine braking pretty damn hard and doing a U-turn in some very sketchy gravel and sand in order to pull over and help my friend who was broken down on the side of the road with his motorcycle needing someone to help him with his rear tire. Now you'll have to excuse me because I still am having trouble remembering how to pronounce your name but I believe it's Union, 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 Union. Now Union was a man on the side of the road with a broken motorcycle in need of help whom I happened to see stop and then be able to help. Now, why this is significant? Because as a product of having to help 
Yun-Yun, I was taking his tire into a tiny little town a few miles down the road all by myself because Yun-Yun had to stay with his motorcycle. So I entered the town, this tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, looking for someone to help me fix his motorcycle tire because Yun-Yun assured me there was a place in town that would help me fix the tire. Now, I don't know how to say tire. I don't know how to say tube. I don't know how to say mechanic. Well, mechanico. I don't know how to say any of these things. So all I know how to say is, Estoy buscando alguien para ayudarme a reparar este. I'm looking for someone to help me fix this and then point to the tire. So I stop at the gas station and I talk to the bewildered man who normally just asks, how much money do you want to put in gas? Okay, thank you. Bye. And I ask him, I'm looking for someone to help me fix this. And he says, what? And I said, this. And he says, la janta, the tire. And I said, uh, this. And he said, la camera, the tube. And I said, uh, the thing inside. And he said, la camera. And I said, I don't know what it's called. A long time passes, really only a few moments, but it seemed like forever of me not understanding the words he was saying to me. And finally he says, go a little bit further and a little bit to the right. So I get back on my motorcycle. I drive a little bit further. Can't find the thing he's telling me. I don't see any mechanic. I don't see any shop. So I pull over, walk into a store and ask another man. And that man says, go a little bit further and off to the right. So I go a little further. And finally, I find a giant tire with the words Jantera on it, which I turns out means tire man or tire mechanic or tire shop or tire place or something. So Yantera. I pulled over to a Yantera. Nobody was there. Just an empty lot. So I go a little bit further into the neighborhood and there's a man sweeping the dirt in front of his house as if it were a floor, which I find incredibly endearing. And I pull over, I turn off my bike and I say, Buenas tardes. Estoy buscando a alguien para ayudarme a reparar este. And he told me, nobody is at the Jantera. And I said, nobody's at the Jantera. And he said, okay, well, if they're not there, they're a little bit further. Keep going and you'll find them. So after meeting half the people in this town and trying all the Spanish words I know, I finally pull into what looks like a shop where I would meet Gustavo. Now, Gustavo is going to probably be imprinted on my memory for a long time yet. Gustavo is one of those larger-than-life smiles that beams like the sun, energy that overflows, shamelessly himself, never changing, always the same, beautifully simple persons. Gustavo was a little bit hesitant when I first arrived because I was wearing funny gear, my motorcycle looked funny, I was obviously a gringo, my Spanish was bad, but when I explained to them that I was trying to help another Chico who was stuck on the side of the road further up and that he was Mexican, not American, Gustavo's smile became even deeper, even brighter, and we started to talk like we had been friends for years rather than strangers no more than a few seconds ago. After a few back and forths, after him teaching me how to take apart a tire and fix it, after him explaining how he's worked here for his whole life and talking about religion, talking about his life, talking about his shop, Gustavo told me that because of what I had done that day, because I stopped and helped someone in need, I would pass through the rest of Mexico with no problems because God would bless me. The seriousness in his face when he told me this, I'll never forget. Contrasted with the joy, the overflowing jovial joy that is the normal Gustavo, this Gustavo I saw as soon as I entered his shop and he realized that I was there to help someone else, that changed to the seriousness, the sincerity of wishing me good luck and safety from God himself on my trip. And so through Yuneun, I met Gustavo. Fast forward another few days, maybe a week, and I'm in line at the customs, the border patrol basically, in La Paz to get on the ferry to go to the mainland. I'm incredibly nervous. I have all my paperwork ready. I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's when I meet Angel. Angel is another motorcyclist just in front of me. 
Angela and I strike up a conversation about motorcycling in my broken Spanish and he in his perfect Spanish. Eventually it comes out that I'm trying to ride all the way to Argentina. And from there it's like we're friends. It's like we share something in common, an understanding of what it means to ride a motorcycle for that long, of what it means to commit yourself to a journey like that. And it breaks down the barriers and we become friends in just a matter of moments. As the police or the federal police or the National Guard or the military, I don't know what they are. As the person with the gun and with the papers comes back over and tells us to get in line and to go, he tells me, I'll find you on the boat, whatever you need in Guadalajara, which is where I was headed, I will give you. I will help you with anything that you need while you're there. So I get on the boat, I settle in, and then I go looking for Angel. I can't find him anywhere. I search the whole boat, all the free areas, all the places where people are allowed to go can't find Angel and I think how sad that I met this amazing person that I had this friendship and this help in the city I'm about to go to and now I can't find him I've lost him so I get in line at the cafeteria I go through and get my very very terrible cafeteria Mexican tortilla beans and rice food and I go sit in the corner of the cafeteria by myself listening to a podcast and writing in my notebook after only a few minutes suddenly there's a man standing next to me looking over my shoulder I look up, and there's Angel. Angel had seen me get my food, seen me walk over into the corner, and seen me sit by myself, waited till he finished his food, and then come over to make sure that he was able to give me his WhatsApp number, and to tell me that he wished me the best. After 14 hours on the ferry, I was in Mazatlan, the city just on the other side of the water from the Paz, where the ferry takes you. I hopped on my bike, grabbed gasoline, and then hit the open road, headed about 500 kilometers south and east to Guadalajara. After about 100 kilometers, I noticed a motorcyclist overtaking me behind me, quite rapidly I might add. So I move over to the far side of the lane to try to let this motorcyclist pass as easily as possible. But as that motorcyclist gets more close, it slows down, and suddenly it's riding next to me and I look over and there's Angel. Angel had caught up with me, recognized me, and was now gesturing with his hands, which I understood to be, have you eaten, do you want to eat, follow me. To which I responded, no I haven't eaten, I will follow you, let's go. Fast forward another hour of riding at 80 plus miles an hour, which is way faster than I normally ride and so uncomfortable on my bike with no windshield and with really a top speed of maybe 90 miles an hour, really maybe not even that, and with tires that are really only rated to 75 or 80 miles an hour, but I was trying my very best to keep up with Angel who was riding about 90 miles an hour. So after about an hour, we pull off the road, I run out of gas, have to switch to my reserve, also almost run out of pesos, and I find myself sitting in a giant 30-foot-tall ceilinged little cafe in the middle of nowhere, eating famous Jalisco or Guadalajara soup slash meat thing that Angel insisted that we eat, talking with Angel about life, about work, about motorcycles, and about my trip to Argentina. Angel very, very kindly volunteered to pay for that soup wished me my very best, and then told me to keep in touch when I was in Guadalajara and to make sure I tried torta ahogada, which is a famous Guadalajaran street food dish. And so that is how I met Angel. Fast forward a few days, and I am in Guadalajara. And yet again, I am running out of money because I only take out enough pesos to really take care of today, tomorrow, and maybe a little bit of the next day. And so if anything unexpected comes up, I use more pesos than I expect and then I run out of pesos quicker than I expect. The unexpected thing that came up this time was changing my oil in Guadalajara in an AutoZone parking lot where, yes, I expected the oil to be expensive, but I didn't expect it to be that expensive. But then also, I was missing the only sized ratchet socket head thing, you can tell how proficient I am with tools, that I needed, and the only way to get it was to buy an entire ratchet set. 
So I had to spend, I don't know, 20 extra dollars, which is a lot of pesos, 400 pesos, in order to get this ratchet thing. So all that to say, I needed money. I was gonna stay an extra night at my hostel and I needed to come up with money quickly. And so I did something I really didn't want to do and I really wasn't comfortable doing, but I had to do. I went out to take money out at night. Now, Guadalajara is a beautiful city and it's a wonderful city, but it also is a dangerous city, especially at night and especially alone and especially on a motorcycle where you can be pulled over at any time, where you can be pulled up on at any time, and where when you leave your motorcycle, everything on it and it itself is vulnerable and you are vulnerable. So I managed to find the bank that I've been looking for and behind me is a steady stream of four-lane traffic all heading the same direction right behind me. So I have no room or time to turn on my blinker, slow down and move nicely over into a parking lot because there is no parking lot. So I pull rapidly over into what looks like an entrance and then stop. And that's when I meet Tommy. Now, I don't remember his name because he said it so quickly, but he kind of looks like a Tommy. So I'm going to call him Tommy. Tommy is a grizzled five foot two security man with a pistol strapped to his hip, a mask barely covering his nose that he continually has to raise back over his mouth, one lazy eye, skin that tells you he spent more days than not outside in the sun, and a warning tone in his voice as he approached me telling me I could not park there, I could not park there. After assuring him that I wasn't parking there, but rather that I was just trying to find the bank and then put my bike in an appropriate place to be able to go out and take money, we began to strike up a conversation. One, I imagine because he was bored, and two, because he was very curious why this gringo speaking broken Spanish was out in the middle of the night in Guadalajara trying to take out money on his motorcycle, on his very big, very expensive motorcycle compared to the average motorcycle you see in Mexico. And so Tommy begins to tell me story after story about all of the terrible things that have happened to his family, to his friends, and to himself in Guadalajara and in Central America, all with a smile on his face and a laugh here and there, as if he weren't talking about the time that he stood face to face with a drunk man with a gun and had to pull his own gun and stare the other man down until the other man got down on the floor and pissed himself while Tommy disarmed him and then called the actual police. This is the five foot two little grizzled Tommy that's standing in front of me, telling me jokes, smiling, and continually pulling his mask back up over his nose. Eventually, as we're talking, as Tommy and I are talking, a young woman approaches and asks where the bus to so-and-so place stops. And Tommy, being an expert of this corner, having probably spent a few years there with the pistol strapped to his hip, ready to use on any drunken man with a pistol of his own, instructs the girl to go back the way she came a little bit further into the left because there's more light, and ahead where the other bus stop is, is all shade, all darkness, and she shouldn't go there, not alone. He then, after finishing, said, or, if you want to go to Argentina, hop on the back of this guy's motorcycle, to which he tapped the back of my motorcycle and laughed a giddy little laugh like a five-year-old boy going to the beach for the very first time. After assuring me that he would guard my motorcycle and watch my things and protect me while I go and took money out, Tommy let me go take my money out, come back, wish me the best, tell me to take care of myself, and to enjoy my trip to Argentina. And so that is how I met Tommy. Fast forward another day or two. I've been trying to work all day up on top of the roof of the hostel. Really hadn't gotten very much done, not very much editing, mostly just checking my phone, endlessly addicted to the dopamine rush of getting a notification that someone has sent me a message. When finally I took myself down to my room with plans to record a podcast. This podcast, actually. When I was rudely interrupted by someone new entering my little hostel room with four beds, putting their things on the bed directly next to mine, and forcing me to say, hello, 
How are you? What's your name? What are you doing here? Fast forward an hour and a half or two hours later, and I have met Cameron. Now, a few times in my life, I have had incredibly surprisingly deep, beautiful, and enjoyable conversations with strangers. I could probably count them on one hand, the times that that has happened to such a degree as to be so notable. Cameron is one of those times, out of nowhere, with completely no reason and 100% coincidence. Cameron walks in and is able to speak with me about things and in a way that makes me feel understood, excited to share, excited to ask and learn and listen, and relaxed enough to delve into things that I haven't quite figured out or articulated and bring them out and articulate them with Cameron. Now Cameron is one of those people that I meet and I think I could be friends with this person for the rest of my life if we stay in touch. We talked about life, we talked about originality, we talked about danger, we talked about risk, we talked about change, we talked about growth, we talked about age, we talked about societal expectations, we talked about love, we talked about relationships, we talked about a lot of things as I sat there in my bed and he and his, both facing different directions, with the breeze blowing in the window on our four-story hostel building in Guadalajara. I thought it especially ironic and pleasant that I was able to meet Cameron just as I was going to sit down to record this podcast about the people of the trip. Because, invariably, Cameron had to become one of the people of the trip. Now, there are many more people that I wasn't able to mention, like the old man in Guerrero Negro who knocked on my door and asked if I wanted to take a toke because he saw that I was from Colorado, and when I said no thank you and entered my, went back into my room, he then knocked again a half hour later and I came out when he wasn't there, and there was a Pacifico beer on my doorstep waiting for me, or the time when I came out to my motorcycle from my hotel and there was a giant... 250 pound bald man taking pictures of my motorcycle and I thought oh no and he was standing next to a tinted reinforced window strange plates escalade and I thought my first cartel encounter here we go and then it turned out that he was working for the U.S. Embassy and he thought it was hilarious that I was riding my boat my motorcycle that thing as he said to Argentina to which he never could stop going <laughs> just laughing his ass off at me. I could talk about the military checkpoint where I couldn't understand Spanish for the life of me, and the guy eventually took pity on me, smiled, and began to teach me different words of every single thing we took out of my suitcase when he was checking everything that I had on my motorcycle. I could tell you about the old lady in Guadalajara that was trying to get out of a car as I was walking down the sidewalk, maybe 90 years old with crutches and frail skin and kind eyes, and as I reached over to help her stand as she was struggling to find her feet, she didn't need my help, but she took my hand anyway, smiled, looked me directly in the eye, and said thank you. I could tell you about all these different people, but it would need a long time. So I'll just tell you about the ones that I have told you about, and maybe some more going forward. But right now, as I look back and think about my trip so far, the thing that stands out most are the people. Nice. I regret nothing. The end.